I need to warn you that if you're sensitive to, to language, um, there'll be some of that tonight, a little bit, not a lot. But if you have small children or if you have very thin eardrums, um, you may want to, you know, step outside or something now because I've told her to be as honest as she possibly can to perform her material tonight as if she were any place in the country that wasn't, you know, a Bible Belt fundamentalist church. So that's what we're going to get tonight is Susan E. Isaacs at her most authentic. I am so glad. This kind of kicks off for me scum of the year's 10-year birthday celebration. Consider Susan my 10-year birthday present to you all. Um, And if I can get her to come out of the restroom, please welcome Susan E. Isaacs. I've never made an entrance out of a bathroom. That's a first. Um, Okay, this all started around five years ago. Um, I was standing on a little, like a grassy knoll in Central Park, and it was July, so it was hot, and it was muggy, except I was freezing cold because I hadn't eaten in a month. Uh, I was on the heartbreak diet. Ladies, anyone have ever been on the heartbreak diet? Where you're so heartbroken that it actually hurts to eat. I mean, I starved down to a size one, and I didn't even want to live to enjoy the clothes. <laughs> it, had, it had really been a terrible year. First of all, my father died. Then my mother had a stroke. Um, then my acting career just completely tanked in New York. So I moved back to my native Los Angeles, only to watch it die there, too. And... This happened right as my four best friends in New York City got their big acting breaks. In fact, one of my obscure friends in New York got cast in a hit TV show in Los Angeles created by my high school boyfriend. Oh, and it gets better. Those same four friends were getting married that summer in New York just as uh, Jack, my, my almost fiancé, broke up with me over the phone. Yeah, you know. So I I flew back to New York to um, attend the wedding circus. And um, something happened. Right when I got off the plane, a friend from my church in New York called me. Now, I'm just going to call her Martha. I know Martha was thinking that she was just going to come and, you know, be Jesus to me comfort me in my heartbreak and remind me that God was still on the throne and all that. And we went for a walk in Central Park. And as we walked around, I realized that Martha was right, okay? God was still in control. Life was still going on. I mean, kids were still playing and dogs were still peeing and Couples were still making out in public, just like that couple right there in front of the pretzel cart. Someday, that could be me. Wait, that used to be me. The guy at the pretzel cart was Jack. You know what Martha said to me? 
Well, praise the Lord. God is showing you that Jack's moved on. <laughs> you know, you really have to be careful who you bear your grief to, right? Especially if it's someone churchy like Martha. Because if the Marthas in the world cannot leave a problem unsolved, they have to fix it. And no matter how long you've been a Christian, and I've been one since I can remember, Martha will know a Bible verse you haven't heard, or you haven't heard the right way, or they'll have a Bible verse or a sermon CD or a book, all designed to silence your grief and muzzle your doubt and make Martha feel better. But when you don't feel better, when you actually feel worse, when you feel like your guts are being pulled out and God himself has orchestrated your heartbreak, down to making sure he gets you on the same patch of grass in Central Park, then Martha will wish she hadn't come to be Jesus to you. Because now she's stuck listening to your horrifying thoughts about God, the kind of thoughts that she gets to just ignore in everyday life. But of course, you can't ignore those thoughts because you're in hell. Yes, Martha, I know God is good. He's just not good to me. Now, I should stop and uh, explain my spiritual uh, heritage. But first of all, you know, I got to say, I can't stand it when people say, I'm spiritual but not religious. To me, the connotation is like, I'm emotional, but not psycho, (laughs) right? But I all understand plenty of us have been burned by religion. I get that. That's why I just say I'm Lutheran. (laughs) It's jaunty. And and it's true. I mean, I was raised Lutheran, like Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Lutheran. Um, But as an adult, I've tried, like, everything, Um, Pentecostals, Presbyterians, um, Episcopalians, rock and roll slackers for Jesus, um, actors for Yahweh. Then I said, screw it, and became a drunk and a slut. Um, Well, okay, a Lutheran slut. There were just two guys. (laughs) Lutherans have standards, you know. Um, and then I got sober, and I got into Alcoholics Anonymous, where they said I could pick whatever God I wanted. I didn't pick God. God picked me. When I was about, I was about six years old, I was standing out in the backyard playing catch with our dog, and all of a sudden I had this awareness that Jesus was standing there with me. I mean, he didn't say anything profound. He just wanted to let me know he was there. And knowing he was there, I felt love. Then later, I watched my mom take communion. Now, she always carried a burden of sadness with her up to the communion table. And when she left, her face was weightless and bright. And I realized that she knew it too, what it's like to have Jesus stand next to you. Um, We had this telescope, and through it, I mean, I could see, like, the rings around Saturn and the moons on Jupiter, and I realized how big the universe was, how far God had sent Jesus to come and stand next to me in that backyard. 
And then I started to realize what sin was. It's why we had the Vietnam War and, and why I fought with my brothers and that I had the sickness. And I realized how much God had loved me to send Jesus to stand next to me in that backyard and take me away from who I was. And when I reached adulthood, it was like, it was like Jesus was standing there on the top of a big, long road stretching out into my life. And did I want to come with him? Well, I said yes. And it was such a huge life to begin with. I, mean, I could sit for hours and just pray to God and journal and write to him and hear what he had to say, like all the great plans that God had for me, plans where my life mattered. It was so big at first. But then there were like sins to eradicate and programs to attend and special blessings to get all to keep the big life big. And you know what? I did all of it, okay? I got washed in the blood. I was slain in the spirit. I, I got baptized at least twice. Um, I've done inner healing. I've done outward cleansing. I even went through a therapy program for ex-gays, and I was never gay. <laughs> and, you know, no matter, like, how crazy it got, like, if friends hurt me or pastors let me down or entire denominations, like, went Shiite on me. I still believed that God was good until that moment in Central Park. I started to wonder, maybe God hated me, or worse. Maybe he felt nothing at all for, for anyone Maybe God wasn't personal. And, you know, if God wasn't personal, then how I had lived my entire life, you know, trying to figure out what God's will was and then attempting to do it, that had all been a lie. Well, Martha called me a few days later to find out if I was still sad and to recommend a book. Now, someone had already recommended this book, Conversations with God, Okay, it's just a bunch of New Age crap where God sounds like the big Lebowski. It's like, hey, dude, whatever you want to do is totally cool. Just, you know, follow your truth, man. I don't know anyone who's had conversations with God that sounded like that. And if I were to write down the desperate conversations I was having with God, they would sound like this. What the fuck, God? And he'd say, shut the fuck up. And that would be it. Now, Martha insisted that her book was going to change my life. She said, Susan, this book says that your relationship with God is like a marriage. And I thought, well, then God and I need to go to marriage counseling. I mean, really, okay, what if I could get him in a room with a third party and compel him to respond? Um, so, Lord, um, is, is this my best life now? Is there a purpose driving my life? Somebody needs to call their doctor. Um, 
You know, Lauren, I know your friends love to quote that, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper and not to harm you. How come no one ever quoted to me Jeremiah 27? Oh, Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. <laughs> but, of course, there's a fundamental problem here. It's like, how do you find a licensed therapist who's going to come in and say, hi, I'm Susan, and my spouse is invisible? I found that guy. His name was uh, Rudy O'Shea, and Rudy was an old hippie, drug addict. He found Jesus in Haight-Ashbury, um, became a Christian, became a pastor, and then quit being a pastor to become a therapist because, well, as in his words, he said, um, I want to help people who want to get well. <laughs> and he's, he's like, so, Susan, um, you want to take God to marriage counseling? I think that's awesome. I'm like, okay, Rudy, um, wait, it, I mean, it's not like God's going to, like, show up. Um, well, he kind of has to, you know, because, like, I need to hear how God sounds in your head. Well, Rudy, we believe in the same God. You know what he sounds like. Well, my God's not a jerk. <laughs> see, see, somehow your idea about God sort of gotten, like, tweaked. So what I want to do is, like, when I ask God a question, I want you to answer not how you think God's supposed to sound, but how you hear him in your head, okay? Okay. So, um, Lord, um, are you willing to go to marriage counseling? <sighs> do you mean sit on a couch and listen to Susan's feelings? Oh, come on, God. You do not speak with a British accent. Uh, yes, Susan, I know, but won't you allow me this one last shred of dignity before you try to make me your homeboy? Susan, do you understand what your problems are? They are middle-class white girls' problems. You're not in Haiti. Get over yourself. Um, can I talk to Jesus, please? <laughs> hey, Suze. How are you? Your dad is so mean. <laughs> you know, I know that it seems like that, but he really loves you, man. Okay, I just want to remind Susan that Jesus is me, right? The Trinity, when you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. How come I've always got to be the bad cop? Uh, well, your sarcastic attitude isn't exactly helping. Well, sarcasm is a viable form of communication. Don't you remember when, the, when Elijah taunted the prophets of Baal? Hmm? It's like, oh, where is your God now? Is he taking a rest? Is he off taking a dump? <laughs> or when I answered Job, remember? Excuse me, Job. Um, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? When I let out the universe and its span? Tell me, since apparently you know. Hmm? You see, sarcasm is viable. Okay, Lord, but it's not really good for a relationship. 
I mean, I cannot stay married to you if you're like that. Oh, Susan, I'm fine with changing. But you know, if I'm just some warped version of the real God that lives in your head, then who's responsible for changing me? Boop, you are. All right, well, that's fair. Where did I get these screwed up versions of God? Okay, now we all have like an image of God that lives in our head. Like whether it's subconscious or conscious, whether we talk to him or not, it's there. And it's not just like what you learn in church. These are things that you pick up from uh, like parental figures, authority figures, role models, even that you just absorb in the culture. I mean, I don't care if you've never stepped foot in a church or a synagogue or Whole Foods. You have this idea about what God is like, and you got it somewhere. Well, this is where I got Jesus. Yeah, oh, Jesus. I love this guy. I looked at this picture every day at Olivet Lutheran Church in day school where I grew up. Now, the other thing I saw every day at Olivet was um, a Lutheran sociopath named Kirsten Shanahan. Um, She was like a cross between Shirley Temple and Hitler. (laughs) And she bullied me every day. Like, if I got an A, she taunted me. If I won a choir solo, she would beat me up. Like, if I prayed out loud. And you know what? No one at Olivet Lutheran Church or day school ever did anything to stop her. You know why? Like, all my teachers were retired missionary Lutheran spinsters. They told me to smile and turn the other cheek. I wasn't going to smile and turn the other cheek. My cheeks burned with righteous anger. You know what my mother said? Uh, Susan, um, okay, I hear you say that you're angry, and if you're angry, people won't like you. Well, that really pissed me off. (laughs) So I prayed to that Jesus every day about Kirsten. Please, Jesus, make her stop. Please, Jesus, make her nice. Please, Jesus, make her die. (laughs) And Jesus just sat there. I realized, though, like, how much he reminded me of my mom. I think because they were both brown-haired, Lutheran, and depressed. But also, they would identify and sympathize, but they would never lift a finger to help. And, you know, Jesus, I know they were just middle-class white girls' problems, but why didn't you ever answer? Susan, it seemed like I didn't answer. Uh, No, you never answered, okay? I prayed for three years, and I ended up having to fight for myself. That's how I answered. I taught you to fight for yourself. But I didn't want to fight for myself. I ended up that angry bitch my mother said no one would like. And you ended up looking like a wimp. Okay, so where did I get God the Father? Like most of us, God the Father is like our dad. And God the Father did look a lot like my earthly father. I mean, they were both omniscient, omnipotent, sarcastic, angry. I mean, now I know that God got angry at sin. My dad got angry at, like, everything. Like, the Russians, Ted Kennedy, football. 
Monday nights at my house were a horror movie. It was like, oh, throw the long bomb, god damn, bleh, bleh. I used to go into my room and pray to Almighty, please just make my dad's team win. <laughs> I didn't realize my dad didn't even have a team. He just liked to curse the one that was losing. Well, Susan, you know that's rather interesting. Your father never claimed allegiance to me, and yet you saddled me with his personality. Um, well, you're both called father. You might want to reconsider your branding strategy. <laughs> now, in high school, um, I cheated on Jesus. I mean, not with any other religions. I still love Jesus. I just found other things to love as well as Jesus, like Monty Python and Saturday Night Live and the Beatles. But apparently, God was threatened by that, or rather the people who represented him were. When my mother found out I got into the advanced comedy group at school, she was like, um, Susan, um, uh, why don't you write some humorous Bible skits for the church youth group? I'm like, well, like what? David and Bathsheba? <laughs> Leviticus? There weren't any jokes in the Bible. Oh, okay, except for the stuff that's, like, unintentionally funny, like when Joshua climbs the hill of foreskins. <laughs> it's like, I felt like all the non-Christians in my life liked me, and the Christians didn't. And God, I got the impression that you didn't either. But then I met Davy Mankiewicz. Now, Davy was so perfect for me. Okay, he was smart, he was funny, he loved movies like me, he wanted to write comedy like me, and he was a Jew like Jesus. <laughs> I went where the love was. And I fell hard. But then Davey and I broke up, and John Lennon got shot. And I got lost. I picked up my Bible. Now, I had read it a lot as a kid, but... When I opened it, I saw all these verses about how God loved me passionately and how he had these amazing plans for my life, and did I want to go? Well, I said, I do. And you know what? My life really did change. I wasn't, like, alone in a meaningless universe. There was somebody there who created that universe who loved me and was going to lead the way. Well, the first place that God led me, like right after college, uh, was a brand new church. Um, it was a big, it was like a mega church. It was Pentecostal. Um, if you're not familiar with Pentecostalism, that's like, you know, charismatic gifts and speaking in tongues. And it was like a big oaky tent revival. Um, my pastor looked like Big Bird. <laughs> and like all of his sermons were alliterated. He'd say like, are you prepared for God's perfect purpose? Then pivot to the person in your proximity and proclaim, I am prepared for God's perfect purpose. <laughs> it felt like the hokey pokey for okies. But I loved it. I, it was so great for me because they gave me rules. I mean, I didn't have 
any rules growing up. And the only rule that I ever heard growing up was, if you're angry, people won't like you. But they gave me structure, like these are the Bible verses you memorize, this is what you do, this is what you don't do, this is where you need to be on Sunday mornings and Sunday night, okay, like every night of the week. But these people were going somewhere, and they were happy. Well, around three years later, um, I ran into Davey Mankiewicz, and he was working at a TV studio like 60 hours a week, and then he was going home to write comedy scripts to like 3 in the morning, the kinds of things I wanted to do. But my church counselor said, Susan, the pagan world runs after these things. You seek ye first the kingdom of God. Well, I am seeking the kingdom of God. Jesus is your agent, and Jesus wants you in church. So I went that night. They were having like a, a speaking in tongues workshop, something like that. <laughs> and as I looked out at that mass of happy people and those men in their double-knit slacks and the women in their bouffant hair, I thought, what am I doing here? This is not my tribe. God, why did you send me there? Well, Susan, you said it yourself. You needed structure. And I found you a new church, didn't I? All right, he did. The, the rock and roll slackers for Jesus Church. Pastor Craig was the exact opposite of uh, Big Bird. Um, he didn't alliterate. He slurred. <laughs> He's like, hey, good morning, guys. <laughs> Ladies. So, um, like, I was in, like, Dunkin' Donuts this morning, like, trying to come up with a sermon. And um, the Lord just spoke to me, man. Okay, here's what he said. Okay, our hearts are like donuts, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, check it, okay? Like, on the outside, they're, like, crunchy, and they're sweet, and then maybe they got glazed or little jimmies going, hey, hey, look at me. That on the inside, there's a hole. There is a hole in your heart where the Lord wants to be, man. Oh, you may say to me, uh-uh, Pastor Craig, I don't have a hole. I'm a crawler. Then, dude, you're twisted. <laughs> he was right. I accepted Jesus, but I still had this hole. I needed to fill my holes. So this is the good news, guys. Okay, the prayer team's going to come up, and we're just going to sit here for 45 minutes and wait on God. And that's what we did. Like Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, weekend, healing conferences, we got together, and we sang power ballads to Jesus, and we waited on God. And guess what? God showed up. I had so much heartbreak and damage from my growing up, and God healed all of it. But around four years after that, I ran into Davey Mankiewicz again, and he was now the head writer on the biggest sitcom on television. And what was I doing? Um, waiting on God. Um, I was going to healing conferences and, you know, healing my father wound and filling my mother void and fathering my wounded healer. <laughs> you know what I hadn't done? I hadn't lived life, not outside the church. 
Now, Pastor Craig said that I should go to this prophecy conference that their church, the white church-wide thing was doing, where people were hearing words from the Lord and getting direction about their future and getting their doors blown off. And what did I say, God? You remember what I said? I said, I'm going to swallow my pride, and I'm going to go. Well, this conference was in a church that was like in a concrete warehouse inside an industrial park next to a rock quarry, which if you're at all artistic or visual, it felt like Costco for Jesus. <laughs> the pastor was an ex-WWF wrestler who got up there and was like, are you shredding the scriptures for Jesus? Mm, mm. Now, I could have left then, but a woman in a permed mullet got up. (laughs) With a word from the Lord, she said that God was turning our silver tooth fillings into gold. That place went nuts. People went running for I left by Christ. And I should have left then. But instead, I went forward to that pastor and I said, you know, brother, I know that God can do whatever he wants. And that's why I came. But this doesn't feel authentic. Well, how do you explain how those silver fillings were turned to gold unless it was the Lord? Well, I mean, if it was the Lord, why didn't he turn those silver fillings into tooth? I mean, really. I'm going to pray for you, sister. I'm going to pray for you right now that God deliver you from the sin of pride and arrogance and the demon Jezebel spirit. I walked out to my car. I got on the freeway. I turned on K-Rock full blast, and I screamed, that is it, God. You get out of my life. I am sick of you and your sideshow freaks. Don't. Touch me. If this was a marriage, that is the moment that I walked out. And I know what you're going to say, God. You're going to say those people just misrepresented you. Well, you have very bad PR. Susan, you know that's not what the real God would say. The real God was heartbroken over what happened to you then why didn't the real God stop it from happening? Well, that began my prodigal era, um, trying to run after everything that Davy Mankiewicz ran after, uh, trying to run away from God. You can never run away from God. There is not enough alcohol or cigarettes or hookups that will drown out that still small squatter who has taken up residence in your head (laughs) and all those Bible verses you memorize as a child they will come back to needle you like I will never leave you or forsake you I have written you on the palm of my hands when you are walking alone on the beach and you see one set of foot Easy mistake. (laughs) I would call out to God in my drunken stupor, you're a stalker. (laughs) 
quit stalking me. I moved on. You should too. <laughs> but the truth was, I couldn't, I couldn't move on. I mean, how can you move on from God? What other language do we have that can describe our longing for beauty or eternity? And who else exists who can actually fill that longing? So I got sober, and I snuck into AA where I could let God in, you know, just a little. And I snuck back into church just a little. And what did I give you in return, Susan? Okay, a lot. I, I admit it, right, okay, like a new life in New York and, and friends and acting work, yeah, and, and a healthy church. Well, I never thought I'd find that again. What? Come on, God, what do you want? Look, I came back to church. I sang the Psalms. I prayed. What more did you want from me? I wanted your heart. Well, my heart got burned. Okay, God, I don't know if I can ever be that vulnerable again. But Susan, what if this marriage depends on it? Oh, I forgot to mention that other thing that you brought me. A robust, healthy Christian dating life. Not. I would have loved to date a Christian man, but Christian men don't date. They all read that book, Kiss My Dating Ass Goodbye. <laughs> Somebody read it. So when Jack showed up and said, hey, I want to date you, I said, oh, okay. When he said, I love you, I said, well, I love you too. And when he said, I'm a guy, guys need to have sex, I said, okay. And how was that, Susan? Having sex outside of marriage? You know, God, like, like, all of my non-Christian friends have sex outside of marriage, and it doesn't turn them into monsters. How come they can get away with it? Oh, Susan, is that what you want to do? Get away with it? I have given you a heart that feels a deeper reality in life. Do you want to get away with not feeling that? I wanted to feel loved. And did you? Like in the deepest part of your heart where I live? When have I not been a part of your conversation? You couldn't even talk to him about me. Okay, I know. I, mean, I know. And that's why, remember when I moved back to LA, I said, that's it. Jack, okay, I'm going with Jesus, and if you're not coming, then it's over. I sacrificed that relationship for you, God, and how do you repay me? You trash my entire life and my career, and, and come on, Central Park. What kind of cruelty motivated you to set that up? You don't want to know. Try me. Susan, what are your grievances against me? Like real ones? Oh, I know that the church is messed up. Do you know why? They're all like you. I exist to embellish your life 
And when you don't get what you want, you complain. Oh, the church is too hip. Oh, it's not hip enough. Oh, they're controlling. Oh, they're slackers. Did you know that your mother has prayed for you every day of her life? And you call her a wimp. And what about me? I am your maker. I want to be the lover of your soul. But you want a career and a boyfriend. Well, I am done with this counseling of yours. Wait. Don't, you can't leave. Don't go. Look, I, I want to make this work. No, you don't. You want to make it work for you. Susan, if you want to know the real me, not some jackass father or wimpy Jesus that you can then dismiss, if you want to love the real me for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in love or lonely, which is how I have loved you, Susan, then I will be back, but not until then. And just like that, God disappeared. I couldn't pray. I couldn't find him in church. I couldn't feel his presence anywhere. It was like the ground beneath my feet had split open like a mile down. And there was nothing but thin air between me and the bottom. I realized something, though. I realized why I had married God. For the power and the glory. I had married him for his money. That's all I have time for tonight. We're out of time. Um, well, if you want to know how it ends, you can buy the book. But, or borrow it from somebody. Um, I'm going to tell you this one last thing, that God totally torched everything in my life. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Thank you.